And before I officially, officially begin the show, one more thing. I want to personally welcome all of you to Filipino American History Month. I'm really excited. We already have some incredible interviews lined up, but I thought I would also use the first couple of minutes at the beginning of every episode to share some history lesson with you. Now, I want to say off the bat, I am not a scholar in any way. (laughs) Um, So I actually want to invite you, uh, our listeners, to be a part of contributing to history this month. And I've been told once that history is really just a collection of stories. And so something super, super, super exciting I just discovered today, like literally as I'm recording this, is what the theme of this year is for Filipino American History Month. And I am taking this from the Filipino American National History Society website. I will provide that in the show notes for you if you want to learn more. But for the 2019 Filipino American History Month, the theme, what better timing, the theme is the Filipino American National Historical Society recognizes Pinay visionaries celebrating the Filipina American women. Could you believe? (laughs) I did not plan for this. I did not plan for this at all. Uh, Anyway, Pinay Visionaries, celebrating Filipina-American women and their contributions to history and the Filipina-Filipino-American community nationwide. So I'm taking this straight from the website. This was announced in Seattle, Washington, by the way. So shout out to Seattle, Washington. Throughout history, Pinay, Filipino-American women, leaders, laborers, scholars, scientists, and activists have been the backbone of the Filipina-Filipino-American community. These Filipina Americans have overcome racial and gender discrimination and have persevered to contribute to their respective fields. This year, we celebrate Filipina American women across the United States, including Panay's such as Dr. Dorothy Ligo Cordova, which is the founder. She is the founder and executive director of the Filipino American National Historical Society. She began organizing and advocating for Filipino American communities since the 1950s. Her vision has paved the way for FONS, uh, which is the Filipino-American National History Society, and Filipino-American History Month, and Filipino-American Studies. Now, there are a ton of us out there, and so I highly, highly encourage all of us, Filipino-American women and the overall Filipino-American community that is listening to this show, throughout this month, please comment in messages, direct messages on Instagram, or leave us a voice message on our show, shoot us an email, and give a shout out to the Panay visionaries in your life or those that you have looked up to growing up to, you know, be who you are today, the people that inspired you to be who you are today. Uh, So please call in. I will mention this a couple of times. Call in, message, do what feels most comfortable. Let's celebrate all the amazing Panay's this month for Filipino American History Month. All right, with that said, I am excited to get into this next interview with you. Let's get started. Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons 
told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino-American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. Jen Amos here with the Filipino American Women Project podcast show. And as always, I have my wonderful co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Cool, cool. And we are super stoked because we have yet another amazing woman on our show today. So she is the Affirm founding chairperson, United Teachers Los Angeles union organizer, and social worker Jolene Levid. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Jolene Levid has been part of the organization Affirm for 17 years, currently serving on Affirm's International Committee. For her paid work, Jolene is a regional organizer for the United Teachers Los Angeles, the second largest teachers union in the country, which went on strike in January. Hmm. She has been a union organizer and former union director for over 16 years, both in the U.S. and the Philippines. She received her bachelor's in political science and Asian American studies in UC Irvine and got her master's in social work from USC. Jolene Hales from Northeast Los Angeles is a mother, a runner, and a bookworm. Jolene, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're so honored to have you. Why don't you start with you sharing how did you hear about the project, the Filipino American Woman Project, and why did you decide to be on the show today to share your story? So I was contacted by Jonalyn Umipig, who is a New York-based Kenai educator and artist. She and I both had overlap in Southern California when she was in college. Uh, we were all organizing in the Filipino community. And then, frankly, I went to your page, to the podcast page, and I listened to every single episode. I wanted to know um, how Filipino women were highlighted. I wanted to know a little bit about you as co-hosts. I wanted to know a little bit about your background, and that's when I decided to say yes and accept your very kind invitation. Oh, well, I want to thank you for listening listening to every one of our episodes. <laughs> I'm actually curious, since you did listen to it all, what is your general takeaway of our show so far? So I think it's really interesting because you have very open-ended questions of interviewees, but every interviewee has a specialized field or a very specific, I guess, purpose. So I thought it was really interesting that the same questions ended up spanning education, art, community organizing, and then there were a number of uh, mental health-focused answers, whether or not the folks were uh, mental health professionals. And I thought that was really interesting as someone who is a trained social worker to hear how profound that topic is to Filipino American women. That was my very just, un, you know, I just went in and listened and that's, that's what I got out of it. Wow. Well, thank you for that feedback. It's really awesome. Uh, you know, these questions are really intended to be open-ended because I mean, I feel like that's what the Filipina experience is. It's open-ended. <laughs> you know, I feel mm -hmm. like even though we share, you know, we are of Filipino descent, identify as female, we're so different. We come from 
all sorts of, you know, different walks of life. And we all have a passion in so many different things. And that's what I hope that the show really displays is that we're so multidimensional and multicultured and multi-passionate and multi lots of things. We hope that this is a platform for other listeners to hear in and, and see that we're celebrating that and really normalize it. Normalize it for anyone who's listening to the show who feels like they are not enough or they feel like, you know, they don't know what to do in life or they feel maybe guilty for pursuing their passions or what have you. Now, hopefully the show, whoever guest is on, you know, whoever is speaking, that one listener can listen to one of us and think, yeah, I could be that or, oh, I'm fine just where I'm at or, oh, I could really pursue more of that. So I really appreciate your feedback on that. Thanks. Yeah, I, I really think that what you said right now about us being multidimensional is the answer to a lot of Filipina American women's questions about who they are because mainstream media, our history courses, they always want to make us into this cookie cutter Filipino woman that reflects the this quote unquote American ideal of what a Filipina should look like, right? It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a very exoticized understanding of who we are, but we're so multifaceted. Even one person can have 20 identities as a Filipino American woman and all of those identities are valid. Right. Yep. So that's, yep. that's what I thought was really interesting about one set of standard questions. And then <laughs> I don't know, like a thousand different answers <laughs> and all of them, all of them being valid, all of them being the Filipino American experience. So that's what I enjoyed about the podcast. Oh, thank you. I almost feel like the title, the Filipino American Women Project is like a facade, because when you hear all these stories, you wouldn't think that all of us embody that, you know, it's like, oh, that's a Filipino American woman. That's a Filipino American. Oh my gosh. Like there's so, there's so much more of them than I realized. And like the color of their skin and their eyes and their hair and, you know, just their overall looks like there's more to them. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, this podcast show is really dedicated to individuals who live or have lived in America, are of Filipino descent, and identify as female. And so, Jolene, I'd love for you to share why you identify as a Filipino-American woman for our listeners today. So I am a Filipino woman born and raised and living in Los Angeles, particularly in Northeast Los Angeles, where there's a significant amount of us here in Northeast LA of, of Filipinos. Uh, my mother is from Bataan, and they got displaced during World War II to Manila. So that's where she grew up. Mm. And then my father is from the north. He's from La Union. So I'm, everyone says we're Filipino, right? But, but actually, I'm Tagal half Tagalog. And my mother's half Tagalog, half Ilongo, and my father is Ilocano. So there are, in general, about four languages being spoken in my family's household. Uh, depending on the day and the holiday and what, what side of the family I'm with. That's just the reality, right, of, of, mm -hmm. us, of our Filipino household. I'm the first generation born in the United States. I come from a family of migrant nurses. So my mother is a nurse. And then my paternal grandmother is also a nurse. And frankly, all the women are mostly survivors of some sort of violence. Mm. My grandmother, she was a comfort woman during World War II. So she's a survivor of military sexual violence at the hands of the Japanese Imperial Army. And then I myself am also a survivor of domestic and sexual violence. I bring all this up as part of my identity as a Filipino American because I think it's a little bit of a miracle and a lot of bit of resistance that we're here, right? Mm. Through all these generations of violence and trauma and war and migration, I think it's pretty phenomenal that we're still here. And I think that that's part of 
our identity as Filipino Americans mm. is the fact that we've survived. Our grandmothers survived. Somehow the women in our family have survived and we're here. I think that that's why it's integral to my definition of my identity as a Filipino American. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. This is going to come off like really rude and I need both of you to help me here on this. But I feel like a good way to describe us as Filipino women is almost like cockroaches. We're like, we, we, we go through shit and we still make it out. So if there's a better metaphor, that's not a cockroach, please. And the only reason why I say cockroach is because we had we had a hurricane come by like our place here um, uh-huh. a couple days ago. And like, I don't know what it is, but the cockroaches knew how to make their way out. And I've been vacuuming cockroaches. Oh, no. it's, it's disgusting. So I'm sorry oh for using that analogy. We are so much more beautiful than cockroaches. But does that make sense? They're just yeah, off the top I, of your mind, yes. Like, I've never thought of being survivor as a but okay right that'll stick with us forever <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry everyone i'm sorry i'm tell- i hope you understand okay. where i'm coming from but like what is what is more resilient than a cockroach that's not a cockroach i think <laughs> that's a, the more the more common example that i hear used is um, a palm tree a palm trees are very, oh, like strong oh. and resilient so in storms palm trees will like bend all the way you know however far down they can go and not break they're like that's just the analogy that i've heard used in the past i don't really know that much about palm trees okay <laughs> we're going with palm trees <laughs> we are, yeah, that's gorgeous. <laughs> we are palm like palm trees. Cockroach. Palm trees, cockroach. Yeah. yeah so much better than cockroaches <laughs> and they also <laughs> go ahead go ahead so another thing that I keep thinking about is that I feel like we've always known this. Our community has always known this, but science has just caught up recently in the last two years or so that when you go through trauma, your DNA, it's altered. And then it's passed on to if you have children, your children. So the, the altered DNA is passed on. And I feel like not just trauma is passed on, I think that the resilience of our grandmothers and our great-great-great-grandmothers is quite literally in our DNA, right? Wow. They survived so much so that we could be here. And I, I don't ever want to take that for granted, that we're here and that our grandmother's resilience is literally built into us somehow. I definitely am very familiar with the trauma part. You know, my I come from a, a family of the women being molested um, growing up. Even I was a product of that as well. And very often, I mean, for a lot, a big portion of my life, I defined my resiliency out of pain, but rather out of strength, if that makes sense. Kind of like, oh, I'm strong because of this painful thing that happened. And eventually I was able to turn it in a more positive light, you know, kind of like I'm grateful that this happened because I can articulate it and connect with other people who've gone through uh, similar experiences and we can all heal together. And so I, I love that you say like, it's not just trauma, but like also resilience. And I agree with you. I think like palm trees, <laughs> you know, when, uh, I don't know if palm trees, I don't know if palm trees have like seeds or anything, like, I don't know, like what it looks like when you plant them, but yeah, I'm sure like they pass that on <laughs> and the palm trees can bend the way they do during hurricanes and stuff. Anyway, analogies and stuff aside, uh, Jolene, I just want to uh, acknowledge uh, what you went through in terms of sexual violence. And I just want to thank you for sharing that. I just loved how you brought it up with so much elegance. You know, I think that when people talk about their traumas, first of all, for a lot of people, it's just 
hard enough to be aware that they've gone through trauma. And then when they realize it, it's really hard to articulate it. So I just appreciate that. It sounds like you're in a very uh, centered place in your life to be able to articulate this and, and share it. So I want to thank you for that. And I don't take that for granted. Thanks so much, Jen. Likewise to you for sharing also. I think for any listener that is going through it, you don't have to be at that place yet where we're at, where we're talking about it openly. So there's definitely, definitely a journey and it's okay if you're not here yet, <laughs> you'll, you'll get here. But for now, you could catch a ride with us, right? Yes. Like you, could, you could catch a ride. It's going to be okay. And then yes. when it's your turn, you're going to, you're going to let other people pitch that ride with you. Oh, that's a that's such a better analogy than cockroaches. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The palm, yeah, I mean, the palm tree one was good though. The palm yes. tree. Was, I haven't heard that one. That one's yes. good. Yes, I agree. <laughs> that was good, Nani. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like now I have to go Google that to make sure that's a thing. <laughs> Do some research. No, it's okay. We believe you. We believe you. <laughs> um, we'll we'll just go with it. <laughs> yes, because we say so. But yes, for our listeners, just like what Jolene said, even the fact that you're listening to this conversation and and hearing this and you relate to it and you're also laughing along with us, I just want to thank you for that. Because sometimes when even if we hear something, when we hear the truth, it's very easy to push it away or reject it or anything. And so if you've made it this far, like if you still hear me talking, thank you for being with us. <laughs> I really appreciate you. Mm-hmm. So All right, Jen Amos here, jumping into the middle of our show, as I always do, to remind you why this show is possible. So, you know at the end of every episode, I tend to say, if you didn't catch our guest contact info, don't worry, we'll have those in the show notes. Check them out. I work so hard on them. You're welcome. Well, it's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as I thought, which is why starting summer 2020, the Filipino-American Woman Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, Finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome, as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the philam, short for Filipino-American, woman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thefillonwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. Yeah. All right. I feel like we're like killing this interview. Okay. All right. (laughs) Next part. Okay. So, Jolene, I know I mentioned a lot about you and your bio already, but for people who are just really getting to know you for the first time, why don't you just share a snapshot of your life today, particularly what keeps you busy and most excited about life nowadays? Just like Jen said, I am a full-time union organizer for United Teachers Los Angeles. I was also, I used to be a director and a contract negotiator as well. I've been a union organizer for the last 17 years. And if folks haven't seen it in the news, we had a historic strike that we won this past January 
we had a six-day strike with a minimum of 60,000 people in the streets every day, wow. every single one. Thank you. <laughs> every single one of the 950 school sites was shut down in Los Angeles. And what we were fighting for is actually smaller class sizes, number one. Mm-hmm. We wanted better learning conditions for our students. And educators wanted better teaching conditions to benefit our students. And the parent, the community support was overwhelming. And that was what took up my time for the last, frankly, for the last two years. It took us two years to build up to that strike. Wow. For actually, if you're going to talk about the internal organizing we did. And so that's what I do every day. I come in and and I organize here in in Los Angeles. I have four areas that I'm in charge of, of the eight UTLA areas. And that's my paid work. (laughs) Wow. And then (laughs) I also am a feminist. I've been part of the feminist movement since I was 19 years old. So I'm turning 37. And we fight for immigrant women's rights. We fight against militarism. And we fight against the trafficking of women and children. Uh, It's an organization called Affirm. It's an organization of women of color. And I was the founding chair in 2010, but our organization has been around since 1989. After work, every other week, I will go to a meeting with a firm. A lot of times I'll bring my child, so I'm also a mother. I have a four-year-old boy. So that's kind of my workload. (laughs) You want to call it my workload. (laughs) I mean, I do have fun. (laughs) Although my fun might look a little bit different to people. I I love to read. I I try to read at least a book a week. I think reading is so important to keeping me inspired, keeping me motivated to organize, and then also just engaging my imagination. I think it's so easy for us to lose that part of our work when we're doing uh, resistance work or movement work. And I like to run. I'll get in some runs a week. That's basically my day. Uh, every day. Oh, I love it. I, I just have to say, I'm just so in awe. You're like the Ade I probably wish I had <laughs> when, when I was living in San Diego. You sound so amazing and what the work that you're doing. I do. I think my first question, I, I'm trying to think of like, okay, so let, uh, let me tell you a, a little story. So when I was in college, my first experience of a march was the justice uh, for Filipino American veterans. My dad, or my not my dad, my grandpa was a World War II a veteran and he didn't, you know, he didn't get his lump sum till later in life. Like he's, he's 92 now. And I think he just got his lump sum. Um, I think about like a decade ago. And uh, at the time when we were doing the March at the historic Filipino town in LA, it didn't resonate with me. And I, I think, cause I was uh, for one, I, I didn't always have the closest relationship with my family, uh, but two, even doing the March, I didn't know how to be at the March, if that makes sense. Like I wasn't like angry. I was kind of there. And I was doing it because my student organization at San Diego State, shout out to A.B. Samahan, they were doing it and we would all go together. And that was really like part of my um, educational experience with my Filipino culture. I didn't really learn about my culture till uh, till college. And so I'm just curious, like, how do you like kind of spark that passion in people to do that? Because sometimes it seems like you can yell so loud and it still seems like no one's listening. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are a lot of things in there that you just said that I feel like we should talk about. Well, first of all, my grandfather as well was a veteran. He was in the Bataan Death March and he died before he got any Mm. compensation. But I had been to 
maybe about four marches before I found any of that out. I, I had no idea. Yeah, so me too. I did not know. I did not know. I was just like, this is the right thing to do. So I'm going to go, right? Yeah. And similar to you, I didn't have that rage at that particular march. It was when I became a survivor. And then mm-hmm. I also connected it to, I found out after about a decade of organizing against violence that my grandmother was also a survivor. And there was something in that bridge that, lit an additional fire Mm. so if I were to talk to any college students I would ask them about their own experiences first I think that in some ways it's easier to march for other people but when you start to march for something that impacts your life right like when you look at the teachers that were marching in the streets or the students that were packed in you know 52 kids a class when you see them marching the streets, there's this different dignified rage yeah. that every organizer wants to see, right? <laughs> because once that is lit, you just have to offer a pass. There's no need to agitate anymore. So if, if I were to have visited you, I would have asked you why you were here. If I were to have visited you while you were in college getting ready for this march, and I would have asked you if there was anything else you think should be up on that stage. Wow. One of the things that's missing is, is the women's perspective, right? So as a firm, we were always getting on that stage and talking about what happened to the women when these veterans were taken off by the Japanese Imperial Army and put in the death march and they were, you know, beaten and killed. Where were the women? They yeah. Were vacationing, right? They were going through their own type of military and sexual violence at the hands of the invading uh, and occupying forces. So that's what I would ask when I talk to students. What do you care about? What, mm. what is your family, what has your family gone through, right? Is your family dealing with fear for deportation? How are your parents treated by their coworkers and bosses at work? How are you treated as a college student working part-time, trying to make ends meet, make your rent, you know, make your tuition? So those are the types of questions that I think are very common when you go into a work site or a college campus. You basically just talk story with people. If you're standing in front of another young brown woman, I guarantee you she is she has faced depression somehow. Yeah. It's just what what is the most profound thing in her life right now that she's willing to fight for? That's kind of like the number one question you want to know when you're organizing. You know, I'm thinking about those questions now. I think in college, I, I don't know if I, would I have been able to answer it? Like, I, I know I was angry about something. It wasn't about like history related or anything. I was angry, but like, yeah, I mean, that'd be, if I, yeah, if you had met me in college, that'd be great. I, <laughs> you asked me, asked me I wish we met in college. I mean, yeah. you, you talked about earlier that you were a survivor. Almost 90% of the women that I organized with are survivors and people know that or don't know that or they say it or they don't say it I remember one woman I was organizing with her for over 10 years and then I found out she was a survivor then she talked about what she went through we had no idea yeah. but she felt safe enough to be around us just like what I said you can hit the ride now and then later <laughs> on other people will lean on you when they need strength right as they're dealing with the fact that they're survivors I do know that part of my disconnect was when I finally told my mom that my first cousin like molested me a couple of times every time we'd visit the Philippines in my sleep. The first thing she said to me was, 
why did you let him do that to you? And I remember, I just remember that that kind of just turned me off. I was like, all right, well, apparently, you know, I kind of come from a family and I'm I'm sure this is very common in most Filipino uh, families where you don't really, you don't rock the boat, you know, like if something bad happens, like if, if it divides the family, like it's, it's just, they don't want that to happen. That will be swept under the rug or dismissed. And so I think that was part of my just kind of like disconnect of like, because I didn't feel the the rage or like the the healthy rage, you know, expressing like what you went through, like in my own family, they were very closed off about it, even though my mom went through it herself multiple times with different people in our family, no one talked about it. And so I thought, I guess I thought it didn't matter. And so I, th- I think in college, I was mad, but I still didn't know how to articulate it. And it really took me till like my later 20s, I'm, I'm 31 now, like in my mid 20s, when I was really able to examine it and you know, really, really understand what I was going through and why I, I minimized what I went through so often because it was part of like my family culture uh, at the time. But, you know, now having a show like this and uh, still kind of being in a position where my family doesn't seem to say anything, I figured I'm just going to talk about anything. <laughs> they, yeah. This is my way of healing, you know, is, is just being open and sharing the struggle to other ladies that hopefully can relate. But, you know, I think now, and, and I love all those questions that you brought up, if I hear about any local uh, marches or movements around here, I feel like I'd be more inclined to getting involved. Because even with like Women's March, I had felt a disconnect myself. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you asking those questions. I almost want to like write them down and reflect for myself because it, it really does wake you up and gives you a reason to get out there. So it's so a really good questions, Jolene. Thanks. Yeah, I'm so sorry that you went through that. I, I absolutely believe you and I really appreciate you sharing your story with everybody that's listening. Oh, thank you. I, I, I will say it until, until I, I mean, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I'm just going to say whatever it makes yeah. sense to, to come up. And, and uh, I know I sound kind of jovial about it now, but I, I'm very grateful that I had the help to get mm-hmm. through it and to learn to find healing and, and really just communicate about it. I think that you guys have both touched on a lot of uh, really key points. While I don't identify as a survivor of domestic violence. My longest relationship was an extremely abusive one. And it's not something that I've ever obviously openly talked about with people that are not like my family or my friends. For me, it's an experience that thinking about it now that I've been able to gain, you know, a lot of distance from that situation. It's something that I, I guess I minimize a lot. And I kind of address with humor every time I have to talk about it. But I really have always tried to not mask it, but just carry that trauma as my own. And Mm. I've never really thought about what you said earlier, Jolene, about how when traumatic things happen to you, that it kind of alters your DNA and that's passed on to your kids. And having kids is absolutely something that I want to do. And to think about those feelings that I feel now and that pain that I carry now being passed on to my innocent babies, you know, that really hits a nerve with me. So I'm, I'm very glad that you said that. And it gives me kind of a new perspective on carrying my own trauma to think about the tools that I was given to work with is a result or a consequence of the trauma and the pain that, that my grandma and my great grandma survived. So mm-hmm. to make that connection, I think is really, really important. So thank you for doing that. Oh, thanks for sharing. You're just making so many of us uh, be so open with you, Jenny. You make it so easy. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> 
I don't think it's a coincidence. There are three of us. I don't know you at all. And all three of us are survivors. That's why I was like, this is such a profound issue for Filipina women. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I find that so far with this show, a lot of women who come on find some kind of healing uh, with us. I know Nani and I have found healing uh, and continue to find healing in our own way. But when we have like a guest on and they say they find healing as well, it's like, oh, love for everyone. <laughs> love for everyone. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I think, you know, Nani had mentioned this in a previous episode, but, you know, I think something about just being able to call in makes it easy for us to just be more open and comfortable with speaking to one another. Because I know that, like, let's say, for example, we were sitting in the same room and one of us was about to cry. Um, I know for myself back in the day, I'd be more focused on holding back those tears and it would distract me from having to try to explain like what I was actually going through. I'm just glad that we have this platform where uh, we can be so open about these things. Awesome, Julian. Awesome work that you're doing. And I just have to ask you, which actually transitions to our next part, my most favorite part of the show, which is sharing a life lesson and a story. Our goal with this part is to eventually collect all of these life lessons and stories by Filipino American women into a book one day. So I'm putting it out there in the universe. And for everyone that's listening to the show and hasn't heard me talk about the book yet, or like hasn't heard me talk about it in a while, you're welcome to check up on me and say, hey, Jen, what are you doing with that book? Uh, because <laughs> your accountability will help me get that book done. But you know, I, the biggest question I, I have for you, Jolene, which really ties into the life lesson today is, how do you do it all? <laughs> how do you do it all? And I know that the life lesson you wanted to share with us today is to get organized. There's a, I know there's some historical background to it or historical reference. So I'd love for you to share why or where that comes from, why you use it, and what aspect of your life led you uh, to use this life lesson to just get organized. So when I began organizing as a student, as an undergrad, 19 years old, I met Ninochka Roska. She is a former political prisoner under martial law. She's a novelist, a journalist. She won the American Book Award as well. And she was an organizer when she was an undergrad at the University of the Philippines, Daily Mind. And I was going through this time period where, you know, there, there are slumps in organizing, right? There are times where you feel like maybe you're not doing the right types of actions. You're not engaging the right strategies. Why aren't more people joining? And I asked her, I said, what types of um, kind of agitational propaganda did you use in the 1960s and 70s at UP that you could share with me? And she said, oh, it's simple. She looked at me and she said, get organized. Mm. And when she said that, <laughs> it seems to summarize the countless hours and weeks and days and work and years of organizing that I've been engaging in, right? Everything from setting up a meeting or writing down an agenda, that's part of organizing. All those things are organizing. And so I've kept that simple phrase with me for the last 17 years. And I recalled it when we were rebuilding a firm, consolidating chapters. I thought about it almost every day for the last four years in my union work when we were organizing with the United Teachers Los Angeles towards the strike. I used it in worksite meetings, right? When union members, when teachers who teach full time and then try to organize their union at their school site, you know, they, they have their own stresses, their own family lives. They're dealing with so much. And I always tell them, it's okay. You just got to get organized. 
just got to get organized. And they're like, okay, okay. (laughs) You know, give them the tools. And so I think that if there's anyone out there who wants to address an injustice, uh, you don't have to start so big. You don't have Mm. to think about a 60,000 person strike or, you know, a march of thousands of people in the streets. Like just, just get organized. That's all you have to do. Just start there. Someone had once told me that every revolution begins with one conversation. And I want to bring it back, right? We're living in some pretty rough times. There's a neo-fascist regime. There's the economy is horrible. Homelessness is at an all-time high. All of us are just trying to make rent and and get by, right? That's, That's what it feels like. And we're dealing with all these pressures mental health, right? In your past shows, we talked about mental health and how all of this, all the economic oppression affects us on a, on a mental, a mental health level, on an individual level. But if we bring it back and just think about it, just get organized. Every revolution begins with one conversation. You could start there. It's going to be okay. We're going to win. That's what I, I truly believe that we're going to win. And we will just start off by saying, get organized. So this is not a cockroach analogy, but um, <laughs> I feel like the cockroaches. I love that you say that because when I think of any march, any movement, any revolution, I think of a ton of people, and I'm you know I'm an introvert, so I already think, oh my gosh, that's too much for me. Like more more than mm-hmm. two people is too much for me, you know. But I love mm-hmm. that you say it's just. It's like that um, question, like, how do you eat an elephant? Not that I would ever want to eat an elephant, but how do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. You, bet, you, you both have heard that before, right? It's not just me. Right, right, right. <laughs> otherwise, yeah. you're like, why is it elephants now? Okay. Um, but yeah, and so I like that you say that, you know, the start of a revolution usually starts with one conversation. And I really feel like in a little way, our project here, the Filipino American One Project, is having a little revolution where we're just having these one-to-one or one-to-two conversations with other Filipina American women to share their story and to share what they've been through and what they're fighting for. And in a little way, I, I'd like to believe that we're making a difference here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I agree. And, and I think that also addresses the fact that there are different roles in every movement. There are tons of introverts in <laughs> Half of our organizing staff are introverts. I would rather stay home and read a book than go out to a party. It's that's just, but if you could talk to people one-on-one, that's the heart of every movement. And every single person is important to a movement. Everyone that, like, we have to pick up trash after the rally. We Mm. have to print out agendas for every meeting. We, We have to figure out food. We have to call everybody, make sure that they show up. Like all of those roles need people in them. And mm-hmm. there's no role that's more important. Everyone in this in history thinks that the person on the microphone is the most important to a movement. I absolutely disagree with that. Absolutely mm-hmm. disagree with that. Nothing happens without all the background work. Yeah. Every march and rally, that's, I don't know, one or 2% of the work that a movement does. That's just the end demonstration publicly of what happens behind the scenes. So if anyone's listening, (laughs) that's nothing. Like the strike. Yeah. We saw six days of rallies, right? That's what people saw on the news. Six Mm -hmm. days of pickets and mass rallies. 
four years of building. Wow. Every single day for four years, we were organizing. That's the real work, the structure building, identifying natural leaders. And those natural leaders, they might not be the leftist on the microphone. <laughs> they just might be the person that's the kindest at work and everyone follows them because they're loved. That's the leader in a movement. So, yeah, everyone has a role, I think, in a movement for liberation. Just to like make fun of extroverts for a little bit, they just kind of like join in on the marches at the last minute. They're like, "Oh, we let's all do this." <laughs> no, but extroverts. <laughs> you can put the extroverts in front of the news cameras. Yeah. Sometimes, like they like to chant. It's all good. Like everyone yeah. ha- will yeah. have a role. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone will have a role. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I really like that your life lesson is so simple. It's just get organized. Um, I think that that's really tangible and reachable advice for people that kind of don't know what they're doing, but they want to be involved. It's a good place to start and a good place to always be at. I think it's ironic kind of for me personally, just because I'm an EA in my day job. I basically get organized for all the execs that I support and that's my job. And I've been doing that for like a decade now. Although in my personal life, it's a completely different story. I'm probably (laughs) the least organized with myself than I am with anybody else. And I actually, I don't know if I told you this, Jen, do you guys both, are you guys both familiar with Gabriella? It's the organization, mass organization that fights for women's uh, equality in the Philippines and economic liberation as a country. Oh, are they, is there, is there color purple? Do you know? Yeah. Okay, yes, yes, I'm aware. (laughs) I'm positive that you've probably seen them around. Um, But it's a grassroots movement, basically, that I just joined on the Organizational Development Committee. (laughs) So this is all lots of relevant information, but I'm totally an introvert. And so at first I kind of came in and I was like, "Um, I don't know if I can help you guys here, but I really want to just like be involved, like hopefully... Mm -hmm. Um, there's something for me to do and I've only done one meeting we have our next one on Sunday actually but yeah I think kind of the two of those just really go together and so that kind of ties into what we're doing here in terms of starting that conversation and you know it's not my short-term goal to start a revolution but but maybe it will be a long-term goal that kind of just comes to be as we go along here so Mm. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I'd love to see us organize a revolution or, or a march, Nadi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but great to hear that you're involved with something like that. That's an, an, an amazing organization. Oh, yeah. That's the other piece that I wanted to touch on was that I feel the need to, obviously, I felt the need to reach out and get involved, but I don't necessarily feel like Jen, how you were explaining in your own experience that I have that kind of anger or rage behind it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's where I'm still feeling it out and trying to um, see if there's a place for me to fit in and in a way that I can tie the passion for doing that into what I'm doing here with um, with TFA. So yeah. Well, I feel like we had such an incredible conversation today, ladies, just talking about speaking up and doing some, something that's so big only requires little baby steps over long periods of time and great organization. 
Uh, Jolene, do you have any closing thoughts for us before we wrap up? My closing thought is to remind everyone that we are still here. Um, poet Lucille Clifton, her, my favorite line of hers was, quote, come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. And my closing thought is that I, I just want to remind all the listeners that despite centuries of colonization, trauma, violence, us being scattered across the globe, that we're still here as survivors, as a survivor. I, I look at this quote on my desk every day, right under my computer screen. And I think that um, it's such a beautiful thing that as Filipino Americans, as women, from a people that are subjugated, that were subjugated for centuries, that we're still here. And I, I think that that's more than just resilience. I think that that's, that that's our power. And mm. so that's, that's all I wanted to close with. Beautiful. Yeah, we're going nowhere, listeners. <laughs> we are going to be <laughs> around. We're going nowhere. <laughs> and uh, we are very adaptable. You will find us in other <laughs> ethnic cultures as well because we know how to blend well. Uh, so watch out. <laughs> palm trees. Palm, palm trees. Trees. Think, think palm trees, not the other thing. Palm I'm now trees. not saying that. Palm trees and elephants. And <laughs> this episode thinking about palm trees and elephants. Um, anyway, <laughs> all right. So, um, Jolene Levid, if anyone is interested in learning more about the amazing work that you're doing and is actually in LA and wants to connect with you, how can they do that? You can go to our website, affirm.org. Affirm is spelled A F 3 I R M. Dot org so af3 irm and that's our tag on twitter on facebook and on instagram we have chapters across the country so in the bay la south bay chicago new york new jersey uh, we have boston folks we have chicago folks uh, new mexico and hawaii and then if you want to get a hold of me directly my uh, social media is Jolene Levid, so it's J-O-L-L-E-N-E-L-E-V-I-D on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. And listeners, if you did not catch any of that, that's okay. I'm a super awesome host. You will have all of that in the show notes. <laughs> You're welcome again. <laughs> Jolene, it's been such a pleasure having you. Nani, I want to thank you for co-hosting with me as always. It's always great to have you and, and share your insight and your perspective on things. So thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Nani, for having me. Thank you for the Filipino American Women Project podcast. I appreciate all your labor and all the research and all the work that you put into it. Oh, well, thank you. And listeners, thank you as well. All right, everyone, thank you so much, and we'll see you at the next episode. Take care now. Awesome. And thank you again, Jolene. Or Jill, yeah, oh my God. Thank you again. I know your name is Jolene, but for some reason I didn't think. Okay. Thank you again, Jolene. There's lots of laughs today. I'm just... <laughs>
This is a very pleasant call. Okay. Too much right. six o'clock coffee. That's that six o'clock coffee. No, <laughs> like there you go. <laughs> I, I had like three hours of sleep last night and then we had to like get oh it. God. We had to get like um I should say this after the call, but we had to get like a <laughs> rent a car and then drive like three, four hours. And then yeah, anyway. Oh okay, cool. So Jillian, it's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for being on our show.